um, holidays, it became tension-filled. And, and uh, so for some of you, maybe that's, that might be uh, characteristic of your life uh, with your extended family uh, because, you know, we all say and we all know that there is that one person in your family that's just absolutely like nuts, okay? They're just like, they don't get it. Um, and if you don't have one of those, that means you're it, okay? If you can't recognize it, you're the one. Uh, so conflict. Uh, there is a cosmic conflict. Uh, there was a cosmic conflict that began many, many years ago that developed, developed long before God ever created the heavens and the earth. And so when we come to Genesis 1-1 again, it says, In the beginning God created Elohim. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, God began to speak, and he began to create. And so this cosmic conflict uh, between verses 1 and 2 is known as kind of like the gap theory. That is, there was a conflict that happened long ago. So um, long before God created the heavens and the earth, there was a conflict between himself and one of his created angelic beings. Uh, that angel was Lucifer. He was a cherub angel. He was an angel that was, uh, had great authority and um, would, would uh, oversee the worship around God's throne and we'd be in charge of protecting God's glory. Well, for some reason, and you can read about this in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, for some reason, uh, within Lucifer, pride began to rise up. And he began to covet. He, he wanted God's glory. He, he coveted God's throne. And so Lucifer, I can just imagine coming before God and says, listen, uh, God, you cannot have all the glory for yourself. I want some of that for me. I'm, I'm tired of just protecting your glory. I'm, I want some of it. And, and, of course, God would respond as he gives us in Isaiah 48, my glory I will not give to another. But Isaiah, or Satan comes back and says, you, you're going to share your glory with me, and we are going to war. Now, how much pride does it take for you to think that you, the created, can overcome the creator? But nonetheless, um, Lucifer brought one-third of the angelic beings, and they war against God in, in seeking to take his throne. And, of course, the war comes to a very abrupt end, and Lucifer and the angelic beings who sided with him were now cast down to the earth, and the earth was formless, it was void, it was empty, it was a garbage dump, because that's, what, that's the only thing that a fallen angel can bring, Satan can bring, with his demonic beings, as they are referred to in Scripture, that's all they can bring into your life. That's all is to bring chaos and, and make it a garbage dump. So God begins to speak, and he begins to bring order out of the chaos. And he brings order in creation, and then finally, the pinnacle of his creation, he says, now we, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are going to create humanity in our image. And so we are created as triune beings. We are created spirit, soul, and body. Your soul being your mind, will, and emotions. Created in the likeness of God. And so through this spoken word of God, he brings order out of chaos. And uh, now all of a sudden, here is, 
Here is Adam and Eve, and God, watch this, this is so important, God places them in a garden of Eden, a specific place on planet Earth, and he puts it strategically right in the backyard of Satan. Because when Satan was cast out of heaven, down to the earth, now obviously there are, there are three heavens that the Jewish mindset would look at, heaven one being here on the earth and the atmosphere, uh, the unseen is heaven two, and heaven three is, is the, um, the throne room of God. Now we know that, that Satan was cast down to the earth with a third of the angelic beings, uh, they have you know, they can roam in the invisible, in the atmosphere, and limited access, Satan has, to the throne of God. And so God says, I'm putting Adam and Eve right in your backyard. And if that weren't enough, it, you notice what he says in um, chapter 1 and verse uh, 28. God blessed Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase the number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every other living creature that moves along the ground. And so he gives them the ability to rule over what he has created. Now, don't you think that ticked Satan off a little bit? Because here he has established his kingdom with his fallen angels, his demonic beings. This is my kingdom. This is my little place to rule. Uh, you are going to bow down to me. I, I'm, I'm the head honcho here in this kingdom. And so this is where the cosmic collision takes place. Because now you have God who's created human beings and has established his kingdom here on earth and he's given them the power and the authority to rule over his kingdom and as they have children, as they multiply, his kingdom expands beyond the Garden of Eden throughout the, the, the entire world and God has established this now rival kingdom right in Satan's backyard and he doesn't like it. And so this cosmic collision is really two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness as it plays out on planet earth. And God established the physical universe and launches his kingdom on earth for the purpose of establishing a family of human beings who would be given authority and dominion to rule over God's creation and to steward his creation. And so the biblical principle is God will only give you what you steward well. And so as Adam and Eve are stewarding well, uh, their kingdom is expanding. They'll be having children, and, and, and it'll just begin to, to grow from there. Now, the expansion of God's kingdom, though, would be dependent upon their ability to rule well. And the only way they could rule well is to remain under the umbrella of God's authority. Remember, God is still the creator. He is the owner. They are simply the managers of what God has created. Now, Satan, knowing this, God had only placed one prohibition. One rule. One rule. How many of you grew up with only one rule in your family? No, not a chance, right? One rule. You, you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of all the things that I've created for you, you can have, partake in. There's the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not partake in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you do, you will surely die. One rule. And from the very beginning, God established a relationship with humility, with humanity built on trust. Every temptation you and I ever face in life, the one issue is that is at stake is can you trust God? 
Will you trust him? Will you follow him? Will you allow him to have authority over your life? And secondly, we learn that maximum freedom is only found within God's design. And so when we step outside of God's design, then that is called sin, and sin always leads to brokenness, right? And we are broken people. And so Satan knows that if he can just get Adam and Eve to step outside God's design and rebel against God as he had, that it would bring brokenness, it would bring chaos, it would bring uh, great harm and, and great suffering in the realm of humanity. Choose to suffer. Choose to sin. You always choose to suffer. Now, up to this point, Adam and Eve had only known good. They had no comparison. Evil? What is that? I don't know what evil. They'd never experienced evil. God had provided everything for them. They, they have no comparison. You and I, on the other hand, would be a different story, right? We've experienced what it means to live in a world that is evil, that is filled with sin. And if we were to go on the other side and into heaven where there's only goodness and there's only uh, complete satisfaction, if we were to ask, hey, do you want to go back to the other side again? No way. We've experienced that. We've tasted that. We don't have a comparison with Adam and Eve, and so Satan is banking on that. Now, here's what I want you to see. Up to this point, Satan has no power or authority over Adam and Eve. He cannot make them do anything. God created them with the freedom of will, the freedom of choice. The only way that he can have power and authority over them is for them to come in agreement with him by rebelling against God and eating of this forbidden tree. To disobey that command would, would have been an attempt to throw off what? God's authority over their lives so that they could become like God, which is what he promised them. In essence, if they, were to, if they choose to eat of this forbidden tree, they are in essence declaring war against God. Doesn't that sound familiar? When God, what God was doing was recreating the conditions of the original spiritual battle in heaven. That's, that's why he placed perfect creatures, Adam and Eve, in a perfect environment with everything they would ever want or ever need. That is exactly what Satan had prior to his fall. A perfect created angelic being in a perfect environment who would have everything that he would ever need. And so the same setting Lucifer was in prior to his rebellion, his act of rebellion came from within, but now he is tempting Adam and Eve from, from the outside. The point is this. God would now have a creature through which he would demonstrate his power and his saving grace. Satan knows that if he can move upon Adam and Eve and get them to make the wrong choice, everything will be affected by this. So what does he come with? The same three weapons he's always used. Lies, deception, and fear. Lies, deception, and fear are the same three tools that he will use against you. And so he deceives them. 
through his lying tongue, and they move into this agreement with him, and they choose. They choose to rebel against God. They choose to partake of this tree. And the moment they did that, the structures of authority, I mean, they toppled like dominoes. Adam and Eve forfeit their delegated rule on earth, and they forfeit it over to Satan. Now watch this. So now, what did God say? On the day that you partake, you will surely die. They died immediately in their spirit, where God had breathed into them the breath of life, the pneuma, the spirit of God, and they died progressively in their soul, and their mind, will, and emotions. Now they begin thinking toxic thoughts that lead to toxic emotions that lead to things like blame and jealousy and fear and anger and bitterness that plagues humanity, and ultimately, they would die in their body. And so Adam and Eve now surrendered the garden over to Satan's rule and authority. And instead of believing God's word and trusting him, he now, he now gave his trust over to Satan and his word. Now Satan has what? He's just taken humanity out of God's kingdom, and now he's, he's planted them in his kingdom. So when you come to the New Testament, that's why Paul will say in Colossians 1.13 that when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and he breathes into you the life of God, the Holy Spirit of God, that God at that moment in time transfers you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You and I are engaged in the midst of this cosmic collision. God's kingdom versus Satan's kingdom. You say, well, why in the world is God allowing that to continue on? That's a topic for another time. I don't have time, but I, we, will talk, we will eventually get there. Listen, Satan strikes a blow against God that he thinks will ruin humanity forever to the point of non-repair. So everything began to change very rapidly because outside of God's design, it always leads to broken. So creation was broken. Now all of a sudden the animals want to eat each other for food, right? Natural disasters. Adam and Eve, again, spiritually speaking, they are dead. They are disconnected with, from God. They used to walk with God. They heard God. God walked with them. He provided for them. Now all of a sudden there is a disconnect from God and they will be cast out of the Garden of Eden. And then there's the, 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 the effects upon their soul. Again, the, the toxic thoughts, the emotional things, and then physically. And here's the side of fear. Most of us, in our fallen condition, most of us will live our lives driven by fear more than faith. It will be a constant battle with us, even as followers of Jesus Christ, when God says to us, listen, uh, I, I have a kingdom that you're a part of, and I am the king of that kingdom, and you are a part of my kingdom, and I have rules for my kingdom, and it's called the word of God, and uh, that, this is my design. I want you to live inside of my design because inside of my design, you have power and you have authority as a kingdom citizen, but if you step outside of that design, it's going to lead to brokenness, and then we're going to have to try to develop some kind of coping mechanism to, to heal our brokenness, and we're like fixers, right? We want to fix things on our own. We try to fix things on our own, but it doesn't work out, and it drives us right back to the gospel of Jesus Christ because Christ is in us is the only one who can repair us. But oftentimes when God's word confronts us, 
there's the decision, right? Am I going to trust God? Am I going to follow him in faith? Or am I going to, am I going to give in to my fear? And I'm going to choose not to walk after him. And so the world is in this broken mess, and God has to address the mess. Now the question is, how can God, who is holy and righteous and pure, save his created beings from destruction and maintain his, his holiness and his righteousness? And so here's the principle that you find in Genesis chapter 3, and it's a principle you're going to find all throughout the Bible it's really what Christmas is all about. It is the principle of substitution. Adam and Eve, though they rebelled against God openly, and they were literally raging, though they wouldn't say it that way, they were waging war against God. They cover themselves up. They're covering their shame, their guilt of what they have done. But it never, you know, you can try to cover up, cover up your guilt and shame all you want, but it never works. You can get into hiding. It never works. And that's why people are so sick emotionally and so sick in many different ways is because we are as sick as our secrets and we don't want people to know the real us and we're trying to camouflage everything. And so God comes into the garden and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And they're hiding because of the guilt and shame. And God calls them out and he says, what is it that you have done? Well, you know, God, it's that woman you gave me. She's the culprit. She's the one. She, she ate first. I wouldn't have done it had she not done it. Husband's been blaming their wives ever since, right? And so Eve, you know, it's the serpent. Now it's, it's his fault. And by the way, you, you'll notice what Adam said, that woman you gave me, which meant, God, you're to blame. And so we will live our lives trying to justify our sin, trying to shift the blame onto somebody else. And so God took the the figs off of them, and he, he brought in a substitute. He brought in an animal. He took the life of that animal as a substitute for the sins of Adam and Eve and clothed them. And then he gave a prophetic word in Genesis 3.15 about one who would come to provide for the cleansing and the forgiveness of the sins of humanity. And so during that thousand years between the fall of humanity and the renewal of God's kingdom on earth through Jesus Christ, God raised up a nation through whom the Messiah would come, and that nation was Israel. And so the prophets of Israel wrote in Isaiah 53 that Jesus would be this suffering servant, and God established this elaborate animal sacrificial system in order to hold back the wrath of God until Jesus would come and absorb the wrath of God upon himself for the sins of the world. And so the gospel of the kingdom is what Christmas is all about, that a substitute who would take on humanity's sin and replace it with God's righteousness would step on planet earth. And watch this. This gospel is a gospel of God's kingdom. It is more than God just giving us the forgiveness of our sins. It's more than God's breathing into us spiritual life and dwelling us with his Holy Spirit. God wants to bring also not only salvation, he wants to bring sanctification. That is, he wants to take our minds that are often filled with toxic thoughts that lead us to toxic emotions, that lead us to toxic actions in life. He wants to bring healing 
healing and he wants to bring hope back into our lives. God wants through the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is the power of God unto salvation, salvation not being limited just to the forgiveness of our sins, that God wants to bring emotional healing in your life. God wants to bring all kinds of healing in your life that is driving you and living out a life that is not where God wants it to be. Right, So my heart does not have to be lived out filled with anger and bitterness and resentment and all of these things that we harbor up against people who hurt us and who insult us and who have in some way rejected us. Why would God want us to live that way? No, Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel of the kingdom says that God wants to bring about complete restoration of your soul and ultimately in your body. So the kingdom refers to the the rule of God. And so all of history comes down to these two men, Adam and Christ. And so Jesus came to do what Adam failed to do, to bring restoration. So we are now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are a part of a church. The church is not the kingdom. The church is a representative of the kingdom. And as representatives, there are three things I think that, uh, ooh, I got to move. Uh, we, ecclesia, church means called out ones. God has called us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And he has equipped us and he has indwelt us with his Holy Spirit so that we experience the power of the gospel for salvation, spiritual life, and the power of the gospel for, you know, the, 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 the development of our lives so that we begin to develop the mind of Christ and the character of Christ so that we can live the life of Christ. And, and he comes to bring hope and the healing back into us. And so the three, three things we need to do is that we, we have to continue to discover the kingdom of God. Listen, the only thing that Jesus... Jesus tells us to seek after is his kingdom, right? Matthew 6, 33, seek seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. That word seek means to, uh, it's a durative verb. It means something that is consistent, something that is continual. It's not a hit and miss. It is a daily thing of our lives. First means it's priority. Righteous means that when we seek first, Christ, and, and uh, we, we seek the mind of Christ and the character and the life of Christ, that God is developing us into Christ's likeness so that we, we are having a, an impact upon the world and the lives of those who are around us, right? Jesus had just been talking about those things that often preoccupy us. We worry about what we're going to wear and what we're going to eat and where we're going to live. And we, we have all these things we worry about, all these temporal things that we worry about because we have fixed our minds not on seeking the kingdom, but seeking the gifts of the creator of the kingdom. And that becomes the focal point of our lives oftentimes. And so we miss, we miss the fact that it is our loving heavenly father who will provide for our every need, right? So Jesus says, listen, you're worrying about all of these things because you have misplaced your devotion. All worry is the product of misplaced devotion. Because if I'm seeking God's kingdom, and I know I have a heavenly father who clothes the lilies of the fields and takes care of the birds there, that he's going to take care of me. 
Regardless, I don't have to worry about these things because they are in the care. They are in the hands of the Heavenly Father. And so faith trusts God in a situation that fear does not. What did I say that one of the weapons is that Satan's going to use against you? Fear. And he wants to drive us by fear, and he wants us manipulated by fear. God does not want us driven by or manipulated by fear. He says, live one day at a time, and every day make a transfer of trust. Trust God for all the things that are outside your control, which is most everything, right? So what does that look like? Let me give you just a little example. So I read about a, a, a man who went to a funeral. It was in Memphis, Tennessee, an African-American church. Uh, when the funeral started, the pastor walked up, went to the piano, and began playing. And he began singing. Something over and over again, two words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And after a while, he stopped playing. He walked behind the pulpit. And he stood before those who were attending the funeral. And here's what he prayed. Lord, you've heard our answer. Now what's the question? Let that sink in. You've heard our answer. Now what's the question? In other words, I'm laying everything on the line. Listen, Jesus did not put us in his kingdom just so that we can sit back and relax and not operate and live in faith. Most of us live with not a yes, Lord, but a maybe, Lord. Maybe. Where do you need to lay something on the line? That you need to say yes, Lord, and then say, now what's your question? What is that area of your life that is unsurrendered to him? Why does God require faith? Because there's a difference between believing that God exists and trusting that God is good. Believing God is, exists is really not hard for most people, but believing that he is good is a different story. See, even with Adam and Eve, they knew God existed, right? They walked with him every day. But they just didn't know if they could trust his character. They just didn't know if he's going to be good enough. There's something out there, there's something luring out here in front of us that promises something a little better. Isn't that the way that Satan operates in our lives, right? It's no matter how much God has blessed us, no, no matter how much God has done for us, there's always this one thing that's out there. It's like, you know what, God, I, uh, I really want that, and if you'll just give me that, then, then everything will be great. You see, God wants to move us from mere believers to actual trusters. I know that's not a word, but I made it up. If we're going to endure risk and sacrifice as we minister in the world, then the world must see us sacrifice, and they must see our trust in action. You know why ministry's hard? Because there's a lot of trust involved. You know life is hard? Because there's a lot of trust involved, Right? But, as, but if I trust God, I seek his kingdom. I'm discovering him as I seek after him. Listen, Jesus said to his own chosen apostles, look, here's what the world's going to give you. Rejection, persecution, imprisonment, torture, and death. Now, don't be afraid. Did you like those orders? You know what? Jesus constantly said, and the Bible 365 times says, do not be afraid. And here's what God always promises. His presence. His presence. 
That's what it means to seek after the God, to seek his presence, to seek after the kingdom. Our birthright as children of God goes beyond a relationship with the Father to include partnership with him and a redemptive plan he has for this world, and so we seek him. And then number two, we declare the kingdom of God, right? So when Jesus ascended into heaven, he says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and uh, the Holy Spirit came, and they became the agents of of God's redemptive plan. And so I I think there are three things. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts through the next year and focusing on the Holy Spirit, how God has equipped us to declare, to declare his kingdom where we are in our own little Jerusalem, our Samaria, and, uh, to the other most parts in Judea and the other most parts of the world so that we are effective and we are impactful as citizen of God's kingdom in order to bring the gospel into the brokenness of humanity. Do we not live among brokenness? We're broken enough as it is. We're still a mess. And some of you have been walking for, with Jesus for a long time. I'm a mess. Well, sometimes I think I'm perfect, but my wife reminds me otherwise. It's just not. So we have to shift from what? Witnessing to witnesses. Oftentimes when you hear somebody talk about witnesses, they think, oh, no, man, that's like I got to go up to somebody, knock on somebody's door, and I got to accost somebody out in the parking lot and, and try to get them to, 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 to give their life to Jesus. No, Jesus used the word witness. It is a regurgitating, not of a canned presentation, but of what you have experienced through Christ in your life. You have so many stories. Listen, we are, we, are, we are compiling so many stories in our church as people are coming to our healing prayer ministry and God's just doing amazing things in their lives and now they, they walk away and they say, listen, I can't believe what God has done for me. Let me tell you what God's done for me. It's just like going to a fine restaurant, man, when you eat something that has just absolutely knocked your socks off. You can't wait to tell everybody about it. Well, when you have an encounter with Christ, I'm gonna tell you, you can't wait to tell them about the encounter but do not limit your encounter to your salvation experience. God wants you to have experiences all the time with him, right? Number two, we have to shift from being members to being missionaries. Rick Warren wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life, sold millions and millions of copies. When you open up that book, the very first thing it says, it's not about you, not about you. I read that first time, I kind of got mad. I got a little puffed up in pride. Till God said, no, it's not about you. See, membership, sometimes we look at membership and we think of things like privileges and and rights and, and all these things and we go shopping for churches, but membership is really to be about servanthood. It's to be about the depth of our commitment to the cause of Christ. Jesus has called us not to be just members, but to be missionaries wherever he has placed us. Whatever neighborhood, whatever place of work, wherever I rub shoulders with people, I have a message. I have a message that they need because I know they're living in brokenness. And the gospel is the answer to their brokenness from attraction to incarnation. You know, we work hard to try to provide quality services and meaningful sermons. My wife writes them for me, so I know they're good. Uh, We have all kinds of special events those, and we ask you as churches, hey, you know, invite people. We've got an invite card out there in the foyer for you to invite people for our Christmas Eve service. We're all about inviting people, but we cannot stop at just asking people to come and see. We have to go and tell. And that's where we have to make the shift. We are living in a culture that perceives the church as being irrelevant and a part of the world's problem. So no longer is just the come and see going to, to um, get it done. 
We have to go and tell. We have to be missionaries. We have to build bridges into the lives of broken people. Our planet is on a collision course for the second coming of Christ, and then the tribulation unfolds. Listen, I believe that when that time comes, when Jesus comes to rapture the church, God will issue his final, his final invitation and that there will be a great harvest, and that final invitation will be accompanied by a lot of signs and wonders of God because that's the way God has always responded in different dispensations, periods of time, and I believe that day is now. That there is a new resurgence and emphasis upon the Spirit of God because we have set the Spirit aside. We have pneumophobia. We are fearful of the Holy Spirit when the fact of the matter is nothing gets done apart from the Holy Spirit. And so there's three circles that we're going to talk about, we're going to teach you about, we'll throw them up here, is that God has a design. Anytime humanity goes outside of God's design, God calls that sin that leads to brokenness. And the answer to your brokenness is through repentance and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's kingdom. And when we receive the gospel of Christ and God begins to transform us from the inside out, God brings healing, he brings recovery so that we pursue God's design, we seek first what? His kingdom, because it is in his kingdom, it is through pursuing Christ that I find hope and peace and joy and love and everything I need for life in this world. That's our message to the world. So we demonstrate, thirdly, the kingdom of God. There is a collision between light and darkness that happens when the sick are healed and when the demon-possessed are delivered or when the dead are raised. We saw that through the life of Christ, right? And so the same Holy Spirit who conceived Christ, who filled Christ, who led Christ, who empowered Christ, and who anointed Christ is the same Holy Spirit that conceived you in the new birth through Jesus Christ, who filled you, who empowers you, who leads you, who anoints you to continue what Jesus started before he ascended back into heaven. That's what he gave to his disciples. And that's what God wants to do now in the here and now. And so Jesus in his public ministry, as he began it, he quotes out of Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to recover the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The book of Acts, there are three things that are related to the Holy Spirit, prayer, faith, and power. When God's people pray, and when they pray in faith, that's when the Holy Spirit releases his power, releasing God's will from heaven down upon the objects of our concern here on earth, a little bit of heaven here on earth. And when the Spirit shows up and moves in the life of somebody in poverty, whether it's materially or morally or spiritually, he heals brokenness, right? He, heals, he proclaims freedom to the imprisoned, whether it's you know, imprisoned to addiction, imprisoned to fear, imprisoned to uh, problems or compulsions. He brings recovery to sight of the blind, whether it be physical or relational or spiritual and releasing the oppressed, whether it's political or cultural or spiritual oppression. The very people that Jesus came to help are the very people that he has commissioned us to help. And so he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Listen, if Jesus has all authority, authority, that means Satan has none. And as kingdom citizens, that authority to rule and to have dominion over God's creation has been now given to the church who are the representatives of God's kingdom so that we can bring a little bit of heaven down here on earth. And so Jesus says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom to bind and to loosen that which needs to be bound and that which needs to be loosened. That is 
how we demonstrate the gospel. So as a citizen kingdom of God, you have the kingdom rights within you, kingdom resources behind you, kingdom friends beside you, and kingdom authority and personnel directing you through the Trinity and the angelic beings of God. That is awesome. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's bow our heads together.